we are still looking at some of the same things that we have been looking at, but just getting into some of the things going on around Christmas. How many know that Christmas time can kind of get you unsynced from some stuff? It can kind of mess with you a little bit. You're trying to figure out what, what all you have to do to prepare for a company coming or a trip that you have to go somewhere or presents that need to be purchased and prepared for, cookies that need to be baked. How many of you are spending a lot of time on baking cookies? My wife is. I have, I have not spent much time baking cookies. But it's good to, to take some time out here and look at, look at these things. We had a couple of questions that came out about the Christmas season. We're going to try and tie some of them in, in here. And, uh, some of them may be new to you. Some of them you may already know. But we're going to be over in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We talked about three things to get that'll get you unsynced with God. So far, we've come up with three things. Complaining about things, despising God's blessings, and murmuring against people. These are the three things, these are three things so far that will get you unsynced from God. You may not feel unsynced, but you are. And we looked at some of the examples in the Word of God where people were unsynced, and some of them still thought they were, had that connection. And still began to speak out like they had that connection, but the connection was gone. Here this Christmas season, we want to make sure that everyone stays in that area of connection. That we hear from the, the Spirit of God. Because, oh, it's so important that we, we hear the things that God would have to say. We heard a story. My wife and I were, we were heading out in the road yesterday. And we heard uh, a story was told. I've heard the story before, but it was so good to hear it again. There was a story of a, a pastor I know. And he um, was speaking about a relative of his who was going into the armed services. And he was going to be uh, being deployed, I believe, to uh, Afghanistan. And so as he was going over there, he asked uh, this pastor, he said, will you pray for me while I'm over there for, for safety? He says, well, certainly I'll, I'll pray for you. But he said, I'm going to do more than that. And he, he gave him a particular series that he had done, teaching series that he did on, on hearing from the Spirit of God. He said, it doesn't do any good to pray for you for safety if you're not going to listen to God. So you need to do your part, which is listen to God. We're going to do our part and pray for you. And then I want you to listen to this, this teaching series. And I want you to be able to, to hear what the voice of, of God says. Well, good for this guy. He, he went and he listened to it. I'm not sure if he's listened to it on the way over to Afghanistan or where he did. But he went through the whole series. And he was um, they were deployed. And his job was that he would be... He would carry all this heavy equipment, communication equipment, and they would uh, kind of knock down doors, doors in a the house. They would go in the house, and he would go to the top floor of the house. And he'd set up all the communication equipment, and then they, they would do whatever it is that they were doing there, and he would communicate with uh, uh, their commanding command base about what was going on. And so this is what it went on day after day. But one time, he was going on up the stairs to, to get there, and he had a check in his spirit. It just checked him. He didn't, he, and he didn't know what it was. He just, he, but he just stopped on the stairs. And the, the other guys, they said, they saw him stopped and said, what do you stop for? Get up there and sit up. And so he started up the stairs again. And again, a really strong check in his spirit. Didn't say what was up, didn't say anything about, just, just a check. And he knew enough that it, that it was a check. So he, uh, so he, he stopped. Anybody heard this story before? All right. Well, that's good. <laughs> So he had a, this check. So he, he just said, he came back down and he told the guy, he said, something's not right. And so um, 
they, they took his word for it and they went outside and they either came up another way or they, they did something, but they said there was a whole bunch of, uh, of bad guys with guns pointed at the stairway. Then the first guy up was dead. And he would have been the first guy up. So instead they took all those guys out and he was able to get up there and no one, no one was hurt. <laughs> you see, it pays to be in sync with God. Because he'll tell you some things. He'll warn you about some things coming up. And sometimes it just comes as a check. Sometimes he will speak to your spirit and tell you something. But you gotta stay in connection with the, with the spirit of God. So we're gonna go back and we're gonna take a look at the Christmas story and some of the things that happened with people and how they were connected with the things of God. We're gonna start first here with Mary. And Mary, she's in Luke chapter 1 verse 26. This is uh, picking up about halfway in the chapter after they've already talked about Elizabeth and the baby she was going to have, which would eventually be John the Baptist. But in verse 26, now in the sixth month, that's the sixth month of the uh, pregnancy for Elizabeth, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So the she is sent to to a virgin, the word of God says. And uh, and notice this. We're going to get back to this verse. Just remember this. We're not going to actually turn back to it, but just remember this. <clears throat> to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, what does betrothed mean? Engaged. We would call it engaged. So uh, if it was in our days, she already had the diamond ring on her finger and the date was planned. All right. That's what it that's what it's talking about here. They did things just a little bit differently, but that's, that puts it in our, our understanding. Verse 28, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now think about this. If the angel Gabriel showed up where you were, wherever that was, in your house, outside, wherever it was, the angel Gabriel, and whenever Gabriel shows up, Gabriel's always the messenger angel. He has a message for somebody. It's an important message. He doesn't carry unimportant messages. These are important messages. Most, we don't know if it's all, but we know that a lot of Gabriel's messages made it into the Word of God. Then we'll be able to read about it later on. So, he says, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, if the angel Gabriel showed up and said that to you, if you were a woman, if you were a man, that might disturb you. (laughs) But, she is not. She is, she's a woman. So it was okay for that. But rejoice highly favored when the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Is, is that offensive to anybody? Would that cause anyone any problems? How many would get excited if, they, if you got that word? This is, I'm blessed among women. Oh, yeah, this is good. I, I like it. God sent an angel down to this earth to deliver a message specifically to me that I am blessed. That of all the women that are on the earth right now, I am being singled out for blessing. I can get you excited. It did not get Mary excited. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his what? Saint, not his appearance. There's a lot of times we've seen people that were troubled by the appearance of an angel because he was scary. (laughs) He was intimidating. That is not the case here. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. 
Now think about this. You're at a holiday event. We just had Thanksgiving. Some of you have already had some Christmas events. We had a holiday event for uh, my wife's side of the family yesterday. And so when you come together, you have greetings. How many of you ever gotten a greeting from a family member you don't see very often and the greeting disturbed you? <laughs> uh-huh. You're thinking, what kind of greeting is this? Right? Now, the whole time you're sitting there, you're smiling. <laughs> Hi, how you doing inside? You're going, what in the world do you mean by that? <laughs> you have been there. She is considering what manner of greeting is this? So it's it's that kind of a situation. I heard the words. They sound nice. But I'm not quite sure what they mean by this. I think there's more to it than uh, than what I'm hearing. Hmm. So she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, how many of you have ever read this scripture and, and thought to yourself and maybe even prayed it to God? God, I, I, I promise you, if you show up with Gabriel in my life and speak something to me, I will never be troubled. Bring it on. I am ready for whatever he wants to say. Now, the birth of Messiah was not unknown. The birth of Messiah is a known event for the children of Israel. Way back in the Old Testament, there was a particular prophet who received a vision that is called one of the great visions of the Old Testament. The vision is of the 70 weeks. And the Word of God came to Daniel and said, 70 weeks have been determined for your people. And the 70 weeks was broken up into three sections. And there was said what would happen in each of the sections. And at the end of one of the sections would be the birth of Messiah. The people of Israel can count. They know when the vision was given. They have counted up already for the 70 weeks. The 70 weeks are not 70 literal weeks. They are 70 weeks of years. 490 years total. The last seven years, the last week of that period is called the tribulation period. And there has been a stop between the 69th week and the 70th week. We've gone through and spent time on some of our end times class things in that area. I'm not going to spend a whole lot more time on that, but it's all very, very known. We understand these things. There were 62 weeks, 7 weeks, and 1 week. That is the breakdown of the period. So they know right around now should be the birth of Messiah. They're looking for it. They also know from the Word of God that the that Messiah is going to be born to a virgin. So, as long as one of the young ladies in the land of Israel is a virgin, she is a candidate. So, if, if all of Israel knows that Messiah is coming, he will be born to a virgin. And in fact, the city is even known. The Word of God tells them he will be born in the city of Bethlehem. There's a whole lot of things they know. They studied these things. They were read these things in the synagogue. These are not new things to them. This is something that's on their mind. And it was the dream of many of the young women of Israel to be the selected one who would bear the Messiah. She knows this. When the angel of Gabriel comes, and shows up and says, you are blessed among women. The first thing that her thought is going to go to is, I know what you're talking about. 
And this disturbs me. Because we are now looking at a complete life overhaul. She is betrothed to a husband. And don't think that your mind wouldn't go this fast. If you were engaged to someone, an angel came down and said, you are not pregnant. One of the first things is, is how am I going to explain this to my husband to be? How am I going to explain this to my parents? How am I going to explain this to my neighbors? What will the people at synagogue think? All these things are going to go through your mind very quickly. And if all that went through your mind, how many of you can understand why Mary is troubled? Now here's another thing. The child is known to be born in the city of Bethlehem and she does not live there. She may be not even thinking I'm a candidate because I don't live in Bethlehem. I would not give birth to a child in Bethlehem. I'm in Nazareth. But this is what the angel said. So verse 30, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now that's pretty clear what's going to happen, right? Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? How can this be? Now she is not saying she is not willing. How many of y'all know just because you ask a question about something doesn't mean you're unwilling for it to happen? You may just be wondering how that would happen. Not an unwillingness, but a wondering. Is it okay to ask questions? Or it is, it is okay to ask questions, I should say. As long as you remain in faith. You can ask questions all you want. It's when you get out of faith and you ask questions out of doubt. Don't do that. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So, the angel told her how it was going to happen. Now, I, th- I know I've told this story a couple of times, but we're going to tell it again just because there was a question along this, these lines. But what, when, um, when I grew up, you know, my, my mom and dad had us in a good old Baptist church. And that one thing about Baptist people is they teach a doctrine. And I don't, I don't, we didn't do it intentionally. I just, we kind of came through there and I understood doctrine. I, I, I learned doctrine. And we went from there and, and uh, went to a couple other churches, but they all seemed to teach us doctrine. We all knew, and, and doctrine is not a, you know, not a scary word. For some people it's a scary word, but um, it's, it shouldn't be a scary word. But doctrine is just basically teaching you why you believe what you believe from the Word of God. There's a lot of people who believe things about God, but they don't come from the Word. They come from other places. But they were good about showing us, you know, where these things were. Now, I came to find out that some of the things they taught us as doctrine were not exactly true. It was a wrong interpretation of Scripture. But they did go back to Scripture and they, they came on out and, and came from, from Scripture. But we've, we've learned some of those things. Well, that wasn't quite exactly true. I know where they got that from, but they didn't quite see the whole of the, of the Word of God. And we, um, we learned some other things and, 
and uh, found out more of the, the truth of the word. But we had a particular uh, course down at, at uh, Rama when I was going to school there. And what this course was, was it was just to teach, because the, everybody there was supposed to be ministers, so it was to teach these people some lingo that other ministers used. This was not important lingo, and then we came out in the class and they said, these, these are not Bible words, these are just words that people have come up with, and it's important that you understand these things, that because some of the people in minist- uh, as ministers are going to throw these terms around, you need to know them. So they taught it to us, and it was the most boring class by most of the people in there. I already knew what all these terms were. I was not only familiar with them, I could use them in a sentence. <laughs> Most of the people there, they couldn't do that because they didn't grow up with these things. You know, it's, it's, it's words like transubstantialism. How many of you know what that is? Yeah. You see, you, you are not in a transubstantiation church. You are in a consubstantiation church. You didn't even know that, did you? If you went to a Catholic church, you would be in a transubstantiation church. They believe in, in that. What they what that is, it's a big long word. And it's not important that you ever know how many times have you ever heard me throw out that term? It is not important that you know that term at all. You see what the term is, it's it's made up by religious people that we can define certain things. Because some people, when we have communion, some people believe that the communion actually in the Catholic Church does this and and a, and a few others I believe as well. But the, the Catholic Church is one. And I'm not trying to pick on them for it. I'm just telling you this is what they, they believe. They believe that the wine that they use actually turns into the blood of Jesus. The actual blood of Jesus. When you take communion, you take of the actual blood of Jesus. And that the body, the, the bread, turns into the literal body. So if you are a um, one of the altar boys or one of the altar girls or someone who took care of the, the, the elements and such that uh, was there... Um, in a Catholic church, you could not throw away the wafers that were used in the ceremony or put them back into storage. Because you see, those particular wafers that were used turned into the body of Christ. And so someone had to eat them. And so it was the jobs of the priest that whatever was left over, they, they went through and they ate those things if there was not enough for the, the, the congregation that was there. Now, the same thing was true with the wine. I believe, I don't know if it still is true. I haven't been inside a Catholic church for a while. I know it was true for a while that the, the people did not partake of the blood of Christ. They only took care of the body of Christ. And so the, the wine was reserved for, I believe, just the priest or, uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't given to everybody. And at the end of the service, you could not throw it away because it was the blood of Christ. So guess what happened to it? <laughs> it was the job of the priest to make sure that all the wine was taken care of. I would not have done well as a priest because I cannot stand the taste of wine. <laughs> now here we just use grape juice and we use crackers. And if we don't use them all up, the crackers is uh, unleavened bread. It's not the round wafers, but whatever people use, it's always an unleavened bread because we're trying to get back to the type of the Old Testament, which is what they used at the, the Last Supper. So that's why we, we use that. But we don't believe that it turns into it. We believe that it represents it. And so they came up with a whole another really long word for that. But those words are not important. <laughs> and this this class went over these words and some other words to try and help people to have a conversation with it. And so it was a hated hated class. I laughed at people. I, I, sat, I sat there and I laughed at people at the way they responded to this class. It's like, you guys are something. It's, it's just, just buck it up and listen. I mean, come on. <laughs> but they were having a hard time with it. But uh, one of the times I came out uh, once I uh, graduated, I took over, uh, uh, I was helping out of church, and one of the things I did was a youth leader. 
And I remember still to this day, it's one, it's a very, very old memory, but I still, I can remember it like it was yesterday because it just hit me so hard. And that we were sitting there in the youth group and everybody, we, we sat them, sat them all around in a circular format and I was sitting there and I was teaching them and I made mention of the fact of the importance of the virgin birth. How it was critical for our salvation. And most of them just looked around like, oh, oh they had no idea what I was talking about. I mean, they, they knew Christ was born of a virgin, but they, this is important. And so I actually stopped what we were teaching. And I said, do you all know that the virgin birth is important, right? And no, we know that it happened, but we don't know that it's important. So I stopped what I was teaching there and we just went on and we started teaching about the virgin birth and told them why it was important, why it was crucial. And it, uh, it was, it's, if Christ was not born of a virgin, we are not saved. That's how important it is. Because the seed of man is what passes on the sin nature. It is not Eve's sin that condemned mankind. It was Adam's. Eve may have sinned first, but it was Adam's sin that condemned mankind to sin. And that sin nature is passed on through the seed of the man. But you remember in the book of Genesis that the Christ child is not called the seed of man, is he? It is called the seed of the woman. It's real important. Seed of the woman. That's why that term is used. It is never used anyplace else in Scripture. It is always the seed of man. But here it's the seed of the woman. Because in order for Christ to be born without sin, he had to be born of a virgin, bypassing the seed from the man, so that the sin nature would not be passed on. That's why he became the second Adam. Does that make sense to you? So that's where, that's where the important part. So, they knew that she was to be born of a virgin. This is the reason why. I don't know if they all knew the reasons why, but this is the, the reason why that it had to be done. And don't let anybody take that away from you. Don't, I mean, some people say, well, whether he's born of a virgin or not, doesn't make any difference if it's Christ. And no. <laughs> it's very important that you understand that's what happened. Plus, that's what the Word of God says. So, just as Jesus Christ could make animals from nothing, and he made people from nothing, and he made plants and trees from nothing, he can make Sperm, I mean, he made the original sperm. He can make sperm that is not condemned by the sin nature. And the Holy Spirit took that and put it into Mary so that she gave birth, bypassing Joseph. But that's why that all had to be done, and that's why I was born of a, of a virgin. So there are some people out there that say they don't believe that the Bible says that the, that she was born of a virgin, that it was important that she was born of a virgin, and you know, you just believe whatever you want to. And, uh, well, that's not something that we ought to, not something that we ought to hang on to. Now we'll get into some of the importance of that here. Uh, just a minute. When we get on down to Joseph, we'll show you some of the things that are, are that. But he's, but she says here, this is the thing we want to see from here. Verse 37, for with God nothing will be impossible. So understand what he is saying is, I can cause a virgin to give birth to a baby. What do you say? Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The angel needed her to say this before he could depart. He wasn't just coming and announcing something. He needed her to hear it and to have faith in it. And her faith in what he said gave the opportunity for this to occur. Because the word of God says that the impossible can happen if what? If we believe. And Mary needed to be brought into a place of belief. 
So she was given the word. She said, all right, I accept that. I believe that. Let it be as you said. And so that this is what the angel needed. Got it. And he left. So Mary started with questions, but she yielded to faith. And that's a good thing. She she was in, in sync pretty much the whole time. She could have been disrupted. The questions could have sent her down a place in, of doubt, but it did not. She stayed in sync with God and continued on that. Now, let's go take a look at Joseph's story. Now, Joseph, according to Luke, is her what? Her betrothed. Fiance, we would call it. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. She's what? She is betrothed to Joseph. Now look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her what? How did we just go from having two verses talk about her being betrothed to another one of her being the husband? Does that seem odd to you? I mean, just the verse before, he said he was betrothed. In Luke's gospel, we have betrothed. How many think that there's a difference between being betrothed and being a husband? A little bit of a difference in, in that. But the word of God is real clear. Then Joseph, her husband. You see, because in the, in the Jewish custom, uh, marriage was not quite the same thing as it is now. And so what you would have is a lot of times the marriages were arranged. I don't know if Joseph and Mary's was. I assume that it was, but a lot of times they were arranged and the parents would make arrangements for them and they would grow up. But they would come to a certain day and they would be betrothed. They would become betrothed. Uh, and in the eyes of the Jewish people, they were as much married as anyone else. They were married, but they were not to come together. They were not to live together. But they were married. And then you would have this betrothal period for however long it, it was. And then what would happen is that you would have a feast. Now, I, I've, I've heard a different, few different stories. I'll give it to you as best I remember because I didn't really go over all the details of, of what they would do. But you would have a, a wedding feast. And depending upon how rich mom and dad were, uh, it could last for a day, two days, three days, seven days. It could go on for a long time. And you would feed the guests all this particular time. Remember the wedding that Jesus went to? They ran out of wine. And when he made some, they had barrel, <coughs> barrels full. How many of you have ever had barrels full of beverage at your wedding? We don't usually do barrels full of wedding because, you know, our weddings, they're a couple of hours and then you're on your way home. That's not how these guys did it. They would, they would uh, do this for, for a very long period of time. And so at some point in there, I'm not sure if, I think it's at the beginning of the feast for it. It may have been somewhere in the middle, but I believe it's at the beginning of the feast. The husband would get with his bridegrooms or his, uh, his groomsmen. And they would make the trek over to her house. And then they'd pick her up. And all of them would bring her over to the feast. And so, see if you understand this, you understand some of Jesus' parables a little bit. The, the bridegroom would come with, with his groomsmen and they would come get the bride. And they, and they would take her and if she had some uh, ladies in the, in the party, then you know they'd bring them as well. And they would bring them all over to the feast, which is already going on. And then they would have the feast for one day, two days, three days, whatever it was. At the end of the feast, they were married. That's how it worked. 
But they were considered to be husband and wife even when they were betrothed, even though positionally they were not. So that's why you'll see a little bit of a, of a difference in that. And you can call her betrothed or a husband, or him a husband, and you're still okay, because they were just a little bit different. So then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, now what things is he thinking about? All right, now picture, picture yourself in Joseph's shoes. Don't just read the Bible stories and not put yourself in their shoes. You have betrothed to a woman. The marriage may have been arranged since you were young. You have known this girl for a long time. You have been betrothed for a long time. You have been faithful to her. You have considered her to be faithful to you. And then all of a sudden she comes to you one day and she says to you, an angel has appeared and has told me that I'm with child and I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. And you're going to be the dad. You have to help me raise raise the boy. We're going to call his name Jesus. Now he heard all these things. This has never happened before. He's thinking about this. Wait a minute. The Bible says the baby's going to be born in Bethlehem. We live in Nazareth. That doesn't make sense to me. And he's, he's beginning to have doubts. And if you were the enemy who likes to sow doubts, what are you whispering in Joseph's ears? <laughs> you need to dump that gal. I mean, get out now while you can. Go find yourself another another woman. This is not what you want to get in, involved with. And he's pondering these things. But you see, he's a he's a good guy. He's a good guy, and he's I don't want to embarrass her. So uh, I just kind of we're just going to end this thing quietly. I'm not going to get out there and make an announcement about it, and we're just going to just kind of. Now you know, you may put her away quietly, but as soon as talk starts. And talk would begin to start. And and Mary's already probably hearing it. And Joseph is even thinking, all right, if I do believe that an angel came and told her this, what are people going to think about me? My reputation is now shot. I mean, who's going to believe? So while he thought about these things, he's got to be thinking about Mary's condition. Well, you know, she's pregnant. I'm going to be brought into that. Uh, he's got to be thinking about Mary's explanation. I don't know how much... Uh, I've never heard about this before. Do I, do I really believe this? He's got to be thinking about what people would be thinking. <laughs> but because of the character of the man that he was, he decided uh, on a course of action. He's already decided. He has thought about these things. He's had enough time to make a decision. That could be five minutes. That could be five hours. I don't know. It wasn't days. How many of y'all know, if you were in Joseph's situation, you would not need days to figure this out. Maybe you take a couple hours on it. But he came to the decision, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to put her away quietly. We're just going to call this whole thing off. And um, that's just, let's just leave it at that. So he has come to that decision. So while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. When do you have dreams? When you're asleep. So he heard about this at some point during the day, thought about it for a number of hours, came to a decision, and then went to bed. He wasn't going to go to bed until he came to a decision. 
just like you've been, how many times have you been kept, kept up about stuff? Until you came to a decision, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And then you, you rest easy and you went to bed. That's what he did. Came to a decision about what he's going to do. Then he has a dream. Let's read that again. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take uh, marry your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So he has a dream. In the dream, an angel. Does not even say Gabriel. If the, if the angel identified who it was, he, it's not recorded. We don't know. But in the dream, it's a very real dream, this angel appears. Now Mary got it face to face. Joseph gets a dream. How many would be complaining? I mean, come on, you appeared to Mary, I get a dream. But anyway, he uh, apparently didn't have a problem with that. So he has this dream. And in this dream, this is what is said. And in the dream is quoted a verse of Scripture. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. How many of you know that verse very well? How many are familiar with Handel's Messiah? If, you, if you're familiar with Handel's Messiah, if you are like I am and listen to it several times a year, Many times a year. Oh, I just love the piece. I don't need Christmas or Easter just to listen to that. I listen to it all the time. I have the best recording on my phone at all times. You could stop me at any time. And even if I've changed phones, on my phone is a copy of the best version of Handel's Messiah that was out there. My dad had it. I used to hear it in the house. For a while, I couldn't find it. thought it was gone forever. But I did find it. Eugene Normandy conducting the Philadelphia orchestra with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Oh man, that is, I've heard other versions. Don't even come close. Not even close. I've heard the London Philharmonic and it does not come close to this one. At least for me. I love this one. And because of, they put this right in there. I have this verse down. I've had it down for so many years. I can just, I, every time I hear it, I hear the choir in the background. Oh, my. But how many of you know where this verse came from? Where this prophecy came? Why did God bring out this prophecy? I may put it to you this way. How many of you could tell me who the prophet was who brought it? Put it to you. Who would think might be David? Nobody thinks David. How about uh, Jeremiah? Anybody for Jeremiah? How about anybody for Daniel? How about Hosea? Got anybody Hosea? How about anybody for Isaiah? All right, we've got a few hands on that one, but the only ones I've seen hands on, that's who it is. Isaiah is the prophet. But here's the thing, and they're all going to have verses 1 through 16, which I, I think is more than I gave you. I put in your uh, in your outline 7-4. I, somehow the 1 disappeared. It's actually 7-14. That's where, that's where the verse is. But I want to read to you the whole passage of where this, this came from. Because it's really easy for us to forget where this is. In verse 1 of chapter 7 of the book of Isaiah, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, 
Uzziah was a good king. Ahaz, uh, he's not Ahab. Ahab is bad king. Ahaz had some good parts to him, but not a whole lot. He was okay, but did some bad things there too. Nothing like his dad. Uzziah was a good king. King of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. So, Ahaz, he is over Judah, which capital is Jerusalem. So we have the northern tribes of Israel teaming up with Syria, the bad guys, coming down and attacking Judah. But it says it could not prevail against Jerusalem. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz. You and Shear, Joshub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field and say to him, take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramaliah because Syria, Ephraim and the son of Ramaliah have plotted evil against you saying, let us go up against Judah and trouble it. Let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tabel. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be broken. He just predicted in this prophecy that Israel will come to an end, the northern tribes. So there will not be a people. Sixty-five years. Did you know that the Word of God prophesied a timeline on the northern tribes? It's in the same prophecy. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Do you remember the verse of Scripture? Believe his prophets, and you shall be established. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Be on the earth, under the earth, on top of the earth, in the air. Wherever you want a sign, ask for a sign. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. He thought he was doing something good here. No, I don't need to, I don't need to test you. Mm-mm. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Here it is. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. There it is. All right. Now, what's the sign for? Here's the part. I don't know if I can explain it to you. The sign is to tell them that what I'm telling you is true. These guys will not prevail. But when will this happen? A long time, a long time from now. But that's where the, that's where the prophecy was given. And no man wanted to ask for a sign, so God says, alright, I'll give you a sign. And so the Lord is, is saying this. It says verse 15, curds and honey he shall eat 
that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. Syria and Israel will be forsaken by both her kings. That was the prophecy. And there is where we know that he would be born of a virgin. That it was prophesied that he'd be born of a virgin. That very same prophecy is what the angel says in Joseph's dream. So Joseph has this dream. After the dream, look at verse 24 in Matthew chapter 1. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. So he went to bed with a decision, was given the dream, and then was aroused. Have you ever been aroused after falling asleep? I mean, just all of a sudden you just woke up. Maybe it was a bad dream. Maybe just nothing particular happened. It just you just woke up. Well, that's what, he had this dream, and all of a sudden he woke up. Now I don't know if he got up at that point and went over to Mary's house and said, "Woman," <laughs> I, I don't know if that's what he did. But all we do know is that after he had this dream, he went over to her and said, "Hey, we're getting married. We're getting married now." And we're not waiting for this feast to happen. It's going on right now. We're getting married. Now think about this. You've got Mary, who is now pregnant, and she became pregnant when she uttered those words, Be it unto me, as you have said. Not before, but at that point. And he, and because of the timing that he was, that Jesus was born, and Elizabeth is already six months, uh, pregnant, we know the, we know how the timing on all that would uh, would work out because Jesus is exactly six months behind John. This is just kind of a side note, but uh, back when Constantine, somebody was just asking me this question about the the date of Christmas. You know, the date of Christmas does not come from the birth of Christ. The early church never celebrated the birth of Christ. Birth of Christ was not well, the death of Christ was, and the resurrection that was celebrated, but not the birth of Christ. They never did that. So the December 25th date did not come up because of anything out of the church. It came up, it's basically a pagan holiday. And the reason that they came up with it was because when Constantine Christianized, uh, or Christianized the nation, made Rome a Christian nation, that people don't care what gods you're serving as long as they can keep their holidays and they can keep the things that they like. And so what they did was they Christianized all the pagan holidays. And so the one pagan holiday had they Christianized was uh, was December 25th. What can we do about December 25th, they thought. Well, how about if we make that into the birth of Christ? We'll celebrate the birth of Christ on that one so they could the heathens could still keep out, uh, you know, worshiping on December 25th like they had been doing and nothing was messed up. Well, the, the problem came in is that there was a um, holiday six months before December 25th. What are we going to do about that holiday? What could we have in the Christian circles that we can we can make that that holiday and so they looked they combed through the scriptures and they found out that john was born six months before jesus was so they turned that holiday into the birth of john if you've ever been in the catholic church how many know that there is a holiday of the birth of the birth of john that's why that they did it 
Now, I'm not telling you that people who do this are, are, are pagans, that if we have Christmas on December 25th, we are closet pagans. I don't get into, into doing all that. December 25th has been completely focused on the birth of Christ and everything that goes on. And I know there's commercialized and stuff like that and people things that people don't like about the holiday. And I am not about to change the holiday or change anything about it. And I'm not telling you that for any of those particular reasons. I just wanted to let you know where it came from. That, uh, that what happened, then it's not the, again, that the Catholic Church is bad for having done, it was, it was done back in, um, uh, the, the mid 300s when Christianity was, was first brought in as the state religion of Rome. And they Christianized all the, the holidays. That's where we got Easter from, uh, coming from the, of course, most people know that came from the, the, um, the, the Greek god Ishtar. And a lot of the things, the eggs were celebrated with, with that. We don't see too much of the pagan celebration come over into the Christmas holiday. And I know some people think that the Christmas tree did. The Christmas tree did not come over from the pagan holiday. I have that on pretty decent authority. So if you just say, well, we get rid of all of our Christmas trees because that's a pagan thing. Um, as far as I could tell, folks, in the research that I've done with it, it did not come from the pagan holiday. If you've been in our house, you know we have a Christmas tree. I wouldn't have the Christmas tree in there if I thought that. <laughs> so, anyway, a little more on the holiday I was thinking we were going to get into. But he was aroused from sleep. He went over, and the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he did not know her till he had, she had brought forth the first son. In other words, she stayed a, a virgin. And he called his name Jesus. Now, think of Joseph here. This is, this is tough obedience for him. He gets this dream. And in the middle of the night, shortly after Mary tells him the news that she's pregnant, as far as she knows she's pregnant because of what the angel said. She hasn't had any tests or anything like that done. She just has what the, the angel said. Right after that, he runs over to her house sometime probably the next day and says, we're getting married. And then all of a sudden the neighborhood finds out Joseph and Mary, Mary are married now. Why'd they get married? I don't know. He just came over. I don't know. Middle of the night. The next day, all of a sudden, the, the marriage is now. You know what that probably means, huh? <laughs> and they probably lived under the, the cloud of that for all the years that they were there. Probably people kept talking about it. Yeah, I know about those two. And then when Jesus was born, what do they think about Jesus? Remember the word of, word of Scripture that says, Prophet is not without honor except in his own town. Remember where Jesus had a hard time being accepted? Yeah, what did they look at him as? Yeah, we know about you. I was around when that happened. Don't be telling me you're no Messiah. <laughs> this is what's going on. I mean, can you not imagine that that would be going on if you were living around there? Now, Joseph, he was natural focused to start. There's nothing wrong with being natural focused. I mean, natural focus is if your car is running out of gas, what does being natural focused tell you to do? Stop at the gas station and get some gas. Right? You kind of know what you, there's a natural thing that you need to do in, in that. But he allowed for correction. That after he made a decision and the, the Word of God came to him, no, 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 I need to, I need to correct that because I still connected with with God, and God in, through that connection has told me that what I decided to do was wrong. So I'm going to correct it and we're going to do this. So he was natural focus to start, but he allowed for correction. As we said, there's some people who don't believe the story of the virgin birth. 
I think I put this in your, your um, bulletin some weeks ago. So I love this quote from, from Charles Capps. Some of our unbelief is caused by what we believe. And if you ponder that, you will find out that is really true. That people who disbelieve anything, disbelieve it because of their belief in something else. People who disbelieve the Word of God disbelieve it because they believe the people who said it's not true. People who believe the Word of God choose not to believe the people who say that it's not true. It's, if you believe one thing, it will cause unbelief in another area. Just like in the natural. If you choose to believe what the doctor says, you shall die, and not believe what the Word of God says, then that belief will cause you to doubt what God says. Just like with Adam and Eve in the garden. God said, don't eat the tree. Knowledge of good and evil. And the devil came up to him and said, has God really said, you shall not surely die. He caused them to doubt it. They chose to believe what the enemy said instead of what God had said. Which means if I choose to believe what the enemy said, what did I do about what God said? I chose to disbelieve it. You see, belief in one area will cause unbelief in another. But in the same way, if I choose to disbelieve, just like you hear me talk about all the times on the news media, I choose, first off, default, I choose to disbelieve everything they say. That's the first thing I do. I just Whatever they say, I just choose to disbelieve it because I know more often than not, they lie, misrepresent the truth, or they somehow cover something up. Somehow they just they come out later on. Oh, it wasn't quite that way. Oh, it was more this way. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I choose when people tell me that a food that I like is going to kill me. I choose to disbelieve that. How many of you choose to, to dis, disbelieve that, that coffee was going to kill you and you still drink coffee? There you go. You stood that. Uh, there was out for a while. Eggs were going to kill you. How many of you heard this news? Eggs was going to kill you. I choose to disbelieve that and I ate all the eggs I wanted. I didn't just eat eggs because they, they said not to. I ate eggs because I liked eggs. If I felt like eggs, I'd eat eggs. If I didn't feel like eggs, I didn't eat them. How many of you eat bacon? How many of you heard bacon is probably not good for you? How many of you just believe that bacon is not good for you? And you go out and you, you see, because I disbelieve this, I believe this. I choose to disbelieve some, some things. And uh, how many of you believe that vegetables are not helpful? Well, we can't all walk in the light. <laughs> no. If I choose to believe the Bible, that it is God's Word to us, other beliefs will follow. I choose to believe God's Word. I have chosen to believe that what God said in His Word is true. So whatever comes to me that's contrary to that is untrue. Automatically. I don't need to take everything and, well, let me examine this part of the Word of God. No, I have chosen to believe that the Word of God is true. I told you when I was going through school, Bible school, ministry school, all that sort of stuff, if they gave us a book, and the one place I went to, they did give us some books that did not believe that the Word was the inspired Word of God. I kept it for as long as I had to do that course, to get through that course, and I trashed it. I didn't even sell it. I got rid of it. I don't want that thing around. I was appalled at the 
They're trying to teach us things in the Bible. They're teaching us from people who don't even believe it's the Word of God. And to this day, if you if I find something and they don't believe that all the Word of God is inspired, I don't care how much light they might have, I throw it out. I do not want anything coming into my reading, into my mind, into my spirit, that does not first and foremost believe that what the Word of God says is true. You see, a decision to not believe the Bible is not a decision of unbelief, but one of belief in the words of others. That's simply what it is. It comes true with even how the universe began. Some people believe it's a big bang. Some people believe it just happened. Some people believe it was an accident. And some people believe God was not involved. Other people, I believe what the Word of God says. We've got enough time to cover this last one. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was, has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now some years ago we did take on this. I think it was on a Christmas Eve service. Not all of you may have been, been here, but we'll, we'll go over this again. Just to show you where the wise men were on this. But it says that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and we understand how they got to Bethlehem because of the census, and she went there when she was pregnant and had the baby in the in the town. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now that could be we have seen his star while we were in the east, or we have seen his star in the east. But these are people who, who watch the stars. These are the Magi. These are the people from Babylon. The Magi came from, from early Babylon. They were uh, the wise men in the book of Daniel. And they, they continued on even after Babylon was, uh, was deceased. And they were people who just practiced their way. They're, they're, the things they learned were what they called closed... I, there's a term for it. I can't think of, of the exact term. But how many are familiar with Mormons? Or not Mormons, um, uh, Masons. At Mason Lodge and so forth. There's different levels of Masons. And the early levels are, you know, anybody can get into them. But there's higher up levels that once you get into those levels of a Mason, you cannot leave. And they pass on teaching. I have not, I have not been a Mason I don't know anybody who was a Mason. I just read about the, what the Masons, uh, what the Masons do. And once you get involved in that, you cannot leave the organization. You will always be a Mason. And, um, I don't know what, if you try to leave, I don't know if they, they put a hit on you. I don't know about any of that sort of stuff. I just know that you don't leave. <laughs> you don't leave the Masons once you get in, involved to a certain level. The early levels, you can go in and, and, and leave if you want to. But what would happen in this group is that they pass on certain teachings that they have. And you only get become part of that teaching if you become part of the group. And you've got to move up from level one, two, three, four, all the way on up. You can't just get into the higher, the higher levels. And so this is what the, the Magi were. They had certain things that they would learn and they would only pass on to each other. And you had to become part of the Magi in order to learn that, which what da- is what Daniel was. Daniel became part of the Magi and they were learned in the things that they had. Go back to the book of Daniel and, and uh, look at him tell the episodes of what was involved. There was certain teaching that only those that were involved in the group learned. 
Now, they would amass teaching from other places. They were not closed in that we don't accept anything else. They constantly accepted other knowledge. They would check it out and decide whether it was it was true or something uh, uh, good. And then they would incorporate that into their teaching and into their writings and the things that they would uh, publish to other people. So that they had a particular group that was set above everyone else as far as they were concerned with knowledge. And this is how the king of Babylon looked at them and other people as uh, as they went down in history. And so, this is the group that comes. This is the only group that is looking for Jesus. And the thought has been, and it probably is, that Daniel had some other revelation of the Christ that was not all written down, but he passed on to the Magi. And because of their respect for Daniel, because the things that Daniel did came true, they incorporated the things that he had into their teaching. And there is a very veiled reference to a star in the Old Testament. If you were to read it, you would not be looking for a star. But somehow Daniel got more revelation on that, or in some of the revelation that he got, something came to him, and he was told what to look for as far as the star was concerned. So, the Magi are looking for the star. And most of the time people have taught this, that it's just some star that appeared, had never been there before, and now that it came out... Uh, and, but there's something unique about this star. There's something different about this star that caused them to, to make the trek. And we know even now, if you look up at the stars, depending upon how much light there is out there, you may see more stars or less stars. But there was something very unique about this particular star. And one of the theories that I threw out to you, one of the things I, I think about this for is that when the star appeared, uh, well, I'll get to you this way. I may have ever taken a, or seen pictures where the stars are streaks across the sky. Have you ever seen that? What you do is you, there's a, there's a bulb setting. They call it bulb setting on your camera. And you can just leave it open. You can leave it open for one minute. You can leave it open for five minutes. You can leave it open for an hour. You can leave it open for five hours. You can leave it open for an entire day. Whatever you want. But the idea is you take this, you open the lens all the way up, and you point it at a dark area of the sky. And the light from the stars burns onto the film or the digital uh, material that they may have. And for as long as that is open, it exposes that one one exposure. So as the stars move, you see these streaks. But if, how many of you ever seen these? They all go the same direction. I should have thought of this. I should have had you find one of me in one of those pictures. We could have put that up there and you can see it. But you've all probably seen these. The stars are streaked. Depending upon where you are on the earth, depends upon how much of an arc you have in that, in that um, uh, view of the stars moving across. But they all move the same way. And it's not the stars that move. It is the earth that moves. And the stars, they're not staying still. But the movement that they have is so small, we couldn't be able to tell. We can't tell the the movement that they have because, you know, they're they're moving just like ours is. They're moving vast amounts, but they're so far away, it it doesn't register as if they moved at all. They seem to be in place. But they are moving across our sky. So, these folks may have been uh, noting something in the stars that was different. A particular star that didn't slide across the sky like the rest of them did. It either stayed stationary or it moved in a different direction. And when they saw that, it said, this is not right. This is different. There was something odd about this star. And they had what Daniel had written or had passed on to them. And they were looking for something. And so they knew this is the star. Understand this. In all of Israel, there was no one looking for the star. And these were the only by, only people that were looking for it. 
it would seem that Daniel passed something on to them that the children of Israel did not hang on to themselves. But the children of Israel would have probably heard whatever Daniel had said. But these are the guys that held on to it. And for all this time, hundreds of years, they have been looking in the sky for this sign. Hundreds of years. Remember, 490 years is determined for your people? We're looking at about the end of 62 of those weeks of years. That is a lot of years that has gone gone by. We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When they saw this star, they do not follow the star to Jerusalem. There's sometimes that has been, been put out there. They saw the star, they made the trek. Because what they knew is the Messiah is being born in Israel. Or specifically now the land of Judah. So once we see the star, we make the trek to Judah. And so they made their, their way on out. When they got to Judah, they figured someone here will know where he is born. And so they came and they went to the king. Herod. He should know. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, and the reason they're all Jerusalem was troubled, because when Herod gets, up, Herod gets upset, people die. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of all the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. You see, there was a particular day this thing appeared. Even if they didn't see it on the first day, once they saw it, they knew the week, they knew the month that it was that it appeared. And that star appeared when Jesus was born. It was not before. It was when he was born. And they made their, their trek to come on out. Now, people have estimated because of Herod uh, killing all the babies two years and older that it was sometime under two years for the wise men to get there. It may have been a year. It may have been a year and a half. And he's trying to cover all his bases, so he's going two years out. Doesn't mean it was exactly two years. It just means he's trying to cover his bases. So very likely it could have been a year uh, out it took them to make the, for them to make the trip. Whatever it was, he asked them, when did this star appear? And they told him, all right, so he knows now, and he's going to get all the kids that are in that, in that area to make sure that he has them. He says, I, I want to come and worship him too. Of course, that's not what he means. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the child was. Now, how does a star come and stand over the, 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 the area where they were? Now, do look at this. I just want to make, make sure I show you this before. Um, and when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the what? It came into the house, not a manger. It came into the house. He was only in the manger for a day or two. And then they apparently moved on into a house. Now, more than likely, the star that appears is not an actual star. It appeared to be a star. It very well could have been an angel. 
who stood far enough away that it appeared like it was a star, but it did not move. So it gave them cause to be alarmed. This is not normal. This is something going on in the sky that does not normally happen. They probably came out the first night and saw it, and more of them came out the second night and saw it, and more of them came out the third night and saw it. This, this should not be going on. That star should be moving. should be going in some direction. But this one doesn't move, or it moves contrary to all the other ones, whichever way that it is. It's, it's not right. This must be the sign. This must be what we were looking for. And so they, they make the trek. And they come on out. But when they come, they come into the house. We don't know if that house is back over in Nazareth or where that house is. It very well could have been that they made the trek back over to Nazareth and either in the house in Nazareth. We don't know. Uh, and, and Herod doesn't know either. Because he kills all the babies in Bethlehem and all the surrounding areas to make sure he got them. So it could be that the angel, they saw the, the star again show up and the angel shows up and leads them over to where the manger was. Because you could follow an angel who is, didn't show up as an angel but showed as, as a point of light. And that light shone over top of the house to tell them this is where you need to go. And since it's an angel, it very well could have only been visible to them. Because no one else we hear is led to the house. Only they are. So there's some explanations as to what it might be that they, they followed. That they were doing, what verse did we leave off at? And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child and his mother, and Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then be, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country. So this means that they were not next door to the palace. There was a distance between where they are and Jerusalem, so much of a distance that they traveled from there and camped overnight. And during the nighttime, they get a dream. And in that dream, they're divinely warned. An angel showed up in the dream like Joseph or somehow they are divinely warned, do not go back to Herod. And so they went back a different way. Verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he had when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all the districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Now, as far as being in sync, folks, these are guys that, are, that just outclass everybody in the story. For something close to four centuries, they have been watching the sky for something to happen. Now they may have known that the Daniel's 70 weeks and they may have been counting down the days and they may also have been saying, all right, it's going to be in this time frame and then watching more intently right around this particular time frame and watching and waiting. Is he, is his star appearing? And when it was, 
they made the trip. Can you imagine staying in sync, watching for this particular sign all this time? And then when it shows up, you make the trek to bring all this treasure to this king you have never met on the word of someone four centuries earlier. When we look at the Christmas story, we can see people that were in sync. Thank God they were. Herod, he may have believed what things were going to happen were true, but only so from a selfish standpoint. He was going to lose his king kingship. Israel, they're not really looking for all that many signs. Oh, they all want to be the virgin. They may not have clarity on what to, to look for because they may not have put the words of Christ, the words of prophecy. They may not have taken it to heart the way the rest of them did. But I ask you this question. What is your condition? What is If, if you are believing God for certain things and the Word of God comes to you, how does that impact your life? Are you looking for things for signs that go on in the Word? Are you studying the Word of God? Are you staying sharp on the things with God? Are we more in tune to what is happening in the world than we are for the signs of what God wants us to be looking for? Are we looking for signs that we have fallen into pride? Or are we not concerned about that? Are we looking for signs that we're growing in the things of the Spirit? Or are we not concerned about that? What kind of things are we looking for? Are we just going through our daily life but not really making any changes, any headway? But you see, God wants you to make changes. He wants you to make headway. He wants you to make gains. And He's given you things that you can look for for signs in your own life of how you are growing, how you are moving on in the things of God, how your life can change. And the more that we put into the things of God, the more our life changes and the more it becomes better. And the enemy is focused on getting us to first off not put so much time into the Word, not put time into fellowshipping with the saints, not put time into meditating on the things of God, but He wants us to think on the things of the world. He wants us to put aside the, the Word of God and pick up other things. Prayer time's not important. Other things can come up instead of getting out with the saints and fellowshipping. Other things can take priority over what God says. And we don't even know that we're out of sync with God I still think I'm there because I know about God. I believe God. I love God. But I just have all these other things to do. You see, the more that you produce beliefs born of the Word of God, the more you will produce things born of the Spirit. But the more we allow the wrong kind of beliefs to come into our life, the more we will produce after that kind. We'll produce after the flesh. We'll produce after the wrong kingdom. But stay tuned in with God. When you get up in the morning, make the Word of God an important part. As you're going through the day and the enemy wants us to think about all the cares and worries and concerns that we have, what's going on today, don't, don't do that. Hang on to what, the, what has God said about you. What are the promises of God that He has put in your life? And keep meditating on and thinking about the things of God. Father God, you have said this about me. Father God, you have promised this. Father God, you have shown me. You have taught me. Focus on these things. Our lives will be bettered. They will be changed. And we will find that we are in sync with God 
to the point when harm comes our way, down in our spirit, we feel the check. In a dream, we hear the warning. Maybe some of us might even have angels show up and say, hey, here's this coming for you. Whatever it might be, don't let these things go. Stay in sync and think about some of the people that are so associated with this time of year. The wise men, Mary, Joseph, other characters in the, in the Word of God, important ones. Elizabeth and the things that she was believing for. That just, oh, I'll tell you what, don't let the things of God go. Hang on to them. And every day, be meditating on these things that are going to make you more and more what God wants you to be. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you that you have called us into a place in your family. You have set aside things for us. You have callings, revelations, things that you want to pour into our life. All we need to do is stay attuned, stay in connection, stay in sync to the things that you're doing. And we will hear and our beliefs will be formed and we will grow. And we will find ourselves doubting the things in the world and believing the things of your word. Thank you for your help. Thank you for your grace and your goodness this Christmas season. Let us remember all the important events, what went on, and how hard this was for some of the people involved. But they stayed with it. Continued on. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Brother Victor. Amen. So nice to have us all in church today. And um, for those joining us on our, our social platform on Facebook, we are happy to have you uh, participating in church service with us today. Um, Pastor just reminded us of uh, the essence of this season, the Christmas season, and the need for us to stay connected, stay in sync with um, God and be focused on the reason for um, this time, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the things he said uh, from the word Matthew chapter 1 verse 20, um, he said as Joseph uh, continued to think on these things, you know, what happened, he received administration from an angel. Uh, scriptures has also told us what we should think of. Um, if you go to Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, uh, Paul writing, he said, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, what should we do? Think on these things. So I think we should go this week throughout the month thinking of these things. Um, they make us become united, become sync um, with God the same way he's thinking right in heaven. Amen. And uh, one of the things we need to think on for this week um, is a painting night. Um, so this Friday, December 28th, by 7 p.m., 
uh, we'll be having our Christmas uh, uh, team painting. And if even if you've not, you don't know how to paint, just like myself, um, you are encouraged to be there, um, to be here, um, so that we can learn and uh, do the painting together. So just a token of ten dollar, you get all is that is required for you to do your painting. Um, uh, we could ask for more information from Sister Alicia after church. We have um, a, pr- a prayer request here from Sister Anna. Um, she's asking us to pray with her for her right knee that has uh, been hurting for um, a couple of days now. Um, the choir minister to us this morning, speaking about Jesus, a name that is above every other name, and a name that brings life, a name that brings light. A um, couple of days back, I was just sharing with a friend uh, how that medicine, the much it can do um, is to give back um, life when the man is not dead yet. You know, using your EAD, give electric shocks and all that. Uh, before you do that, of course, you need to check if there are still some pulses in the heart you know, before you apply the shock. But the word of God goes beyond there. You know, even when death is confirmed, God's word gives life. And we see that in the you know, accounts we have in the Bible, Lazarus and the rest, how life came back. And Jesus said that if this word be in us, the same power that raised up Christ from death is able to vitalize our mortal bodies. Hallelujah. So we join our faith together with our sister and speak to the knee. Um, it's a prayer of faith um, that strength be restored to that knee. If you're around her, just place your hand on her and let's pray together um, that Strength be restored to the right knee in the name of Jesus. Um, let life come back to the joint. Let life come back to the sinews, the, the synovia fluid, to the bones around there. We speak life on that knee and pray that there be a restoration to wholeness in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So let's go this week um, thinking on this thing and let God bless each and every one of us. Greet one another as you go. Uh, we're out of the church today. Amen.